welcome to Guidepost in Motion, a podcast highlighting risk, compliance, and security professionals with insights meant to keep you, your business, and operations moving forward. My name is Susanna Herkert, and I'm a Senior Director at Guidepost Solutions. Today's episode, The Red Flags of Drug Diversion, will feature a discussion between my colleague, Lou Milioni, who leads the company's Controlled Substances Act and Code of Federal Regulations Compliance Practice, and me, and we're going to talk about the common red flags that plague the pharmaceutical industry. Lou, before we get started, uh, tell us a little about yourself. Hi, Susanna, and thanks. Uh, I'm a a senior managing director with Guidepost Solutions, and as you said, I I lead our our Controlled Substances Act, or CSA, and Code of Federal Regulations Compliance um, Practice. Before I joined Guidepost, Uh, About three and a half years ago, I served with the Drug Enforcement Administration for uh, over 20 years as a special agent. Uh, During my time there, uh, in the beginning part of my my career, I did uh, international and domestic criminal investigations uh, for prosecution in the U.S. at the state and federal level. And then towards the end of my career, I was appointed to lead the EA's Diversion Control Division. And in that position, I had the privilege of serving and uh, uh, leading a great group of diversion investigators, agents, analysts, regulatory experts, scientists, and our mandate was to uh, regulate the 1.7 or so million DEA registrants across the entire supply pharmaceutical supply chain. Um, you know, through that time it was very eye-opening. I obviously have seen my share of of uh, well-intentioned, law-abiding DEA registrants um, that were doing the right thing but occasionally got caught up in, in discrepancies between their defined protocols and their actual implementation. And uh, often they would get cited by DEA. And it could be a, across a broad range of violations from something that was very minor all the way up to significant criminal or civil penalties. And obviously, Susanna, while I was at the DEA, we worked very closely together. And uh, Susanna will speak about herself, but she was a uh, a rock star diversion investigator for, for more than 15 years. So Susanna, go ahead and tell us a little bit more about yourself now that I've embarrassed you. <laughs> well, thank you, Lou. Um, while I was with um, DEA as a diversion investigator, as Lou mentioned, I had the privilege of working uh, for him when he was assistant administrator um, over the Office of Diversion Control. And uh, under his leadership, we were able to advance uh, our civil criminal cases and really look into how we were going to address the issues with the opioid crisis and the closed system of distribution. Um, As you mentioned, I was a diversion investigator. I spent 15 years with DEA until recently um, joining Guidepost Solutions. And uh, while with DEA, I worked in Los Angeles and Dallas field divisions on the tactical diversion squads, uh, working uh, national impact cases, uh, including physicians, companies involved in the illicit distribution of controlled substances. Uh, I ended my career as the unit chief for a newly created diversion specialized unit, which trained uh, investigators, prosecutors, agents, and analysts on how to best investigate and prosecute those that were involved in the illicit distribution of pharmaceuticals. And uh, I also supervised the incoming uh, diversion investigators and got them through the 12-week training program at Quantico. Um, so vast uh, experience in DEA and criminal and civil investigations um, with diversion investigations. And in working 
um, with Lou, with others in DEA, uh, we saw firsthand uh, the challenges that face the pharmaceutical industry uh, from a compliance point of view and how um, those affected the opioid crisis. And uh, many companies that we saw uh, during our investigations were well-intentioned, as Lou mentioned, but just did not have the compliance procedures in place. And if they did have them in place, they were often only on paper and they failed to enact these uh, compliance procedures. Uh, this led to uh, profound failures that um, while I was with DEA, I was able to um, investigate and ultimately hold individuals accountable uh, for these failures, uh, often lacking in suspicious order monitoring for distributors. And at the pharmacy level, um, they failed often with not only their suspicious orders, uh, but also the corresponding responsibility uh, at the pharmacy level. Uh, these failures, while often we saw they were unintentional, uh, they led to uh, diversion at the pharmacy level, the distributor level, and the manufacturing level. And it, it helped fuel the, the opioid crisis. Uh, Lou, are there any other common gaps that you, uh, from your experience, have seen that go unchecked? No, you, you really hit on uh, a number of the big ones. But, you know, in my experience when I was at DEA, but also now in on, on the private sector, um, we've really seen uh, a lack of documentation at times, like uh, a real gap in the know your customer or due diligence checks that are done uh, at whatever the 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 business activity is in the supply chain, whether it's a manufacturer or distributor, for example. Um, so when looking at those uh, internal documents or you don't you don't or you don't see those internal documents or that documentation, you know, that that uh, is a problem for when DEA shows up, obviously. Um, gaps in applying what, uh, as you mentioned, the protocols say, for example, in a suspicious sort of monitoring system and or as a, as, a, as a pharmacy or a pharmacist, their corresponding responsibility, the lack of documentation, the lack of knowing their customer, how did they do their appropriate due diligence, even the most basic level due diligence sometimes isn't done. And, um, you know, those are some of the, the common gaps that, that we would see. Another one that, that to keep in mind is, especially as it relates to suspicious orders uh, and how uh, a registrant has to investigate those really um, thin investigations. And, and that's not necessarily a criticism of the people that are doing it, but it's from a pragmatic standpoint, it's going to be where DEA or the U.S. Attorney's Office or the state regulators are going to look and they're going to say to the registrant, in the ship, no ship decisions, how are you justifying that decision to ship? And if you just don't justify it appropriately, DEA potentially can come in and look at those individuals individually, but also uh, at the corporation. So I, I know I rambled on there a little, Susanna, but uh, I'm, I'm sure you can think of some others as well. No, I think you're absolutely right. I think it's one thing to have protocols in place, um, but you're also gonna be held accountable uh, for those protocols when reviewing your suspicious order uh, reports that come in and making sure that you're following um, your protocols that are in place and how you've justified uh, the decision to uh, send that order out. And so I think you've hit on a very important um, point on that, um, as well as, um, you know, with the new changes uh, that are proposed on the suspicious order and monitoring being up to date. Um, the compliance is kind of an ever-changing uh, compliance system. And so making sure that you're up with current standards and that the, your your systems that you have in place are monitored and the most current information available as well. Um, 
Do you think uh, these gaps are more prevalent in a pharmaceutical supplier versus a manufacturer, or have you seen any difference in your experience? Well, there, there will be some differences, uh, certainly in, you know, for a distributor or a supplier and a manufacturer, they'll have a number of the same um, CSA or CFR uh, regulatory responsibilities, but there definitely are some, some gaps that are common. Um, they'll have different business practices and compliance practices. They'll vary greatly. You'll have a different um, different drugs that perhaps they're dealing with. They're a different part of the country that has certain diversion risks or other other risks that they um, have to deal with. Uh, we've certainly seen diversion from manufacturers. Now, one big difference would be, you know, a distributor has their finished product that is being distributed, and there's all sorts of protocols that they have to to uh, comply with the suspicious orders, know your customer and all that. But for a manufacturer, very often they'll have active pharmaceutical ingredients that they're processing. And I've seen in the private side, and also when I was with the government, you know, quantities of that are potentially really deadly because it's active, pure pharmaceutical ingredient, especially if it's a schedule two uh, opioid um, and it's stolen or it's diverted. And what and overdoses occur. And in one particular example, when an overdose occurred, we did the internal look back, and you could see considerable um, considerable gaps that uh, allowed someone that was working at the company to exploit for either sale on the street or for their own personal use. And unfortunately, um, companies, corporations are held accountable for that if deaths result, um, or uh, individuals within the compliance. Um, um, infrastructure will be held accountable. I think you've hit on a, a very important uh, point, Lou, and the accountability. Um, you know, I know in my experience as a diversion investigator, when I was doing criminal investigations, we would uh, look at the death resulting, not just on the practitioner who illegally prescribed the controlled substance, but we would look up the chain, including the pharmacy who um, did not fill their corresponding responsibility and filled a prescription that they knew they should not have filled and then going up the chain to the the distributor and determining whether the distributor should have supplied that pharmacy based off what they knew um, was going on so i think it's important to remember that it's, you know a lot of these overdose deaths and these death resulting criminal cases um, are now including uh conspiracies from the the practitioner level all the way up to the distributor level uh, so it's important uh, to remember that uh, for evaluating your compliance. Yeah, yep, I, I agree, Suzanne. And one thing I, you know, I really want to talk about because obviously there are certain technical things that are important that, to to make sure that the that the registrant is complying with the the CSA and the CFR. But I can't emphasize enough the importance of tone at the top and culture from the very top, even not the chief compliance officer, but the the very top uh, members of the organization, how um, there are intricacies. These are companies that are operational in a sense that, you know, that phrase, the plane is flying and sometimes you're building the plane as you're flying along. Things can happen, things can go wrong, but if the tone from the top, at least that, that I've seen certainly since I've been in, in the private sector, if the tone of the top uh, messages that compliance, specifically DEA compliance is a priority, um, and that the, the chief compliance officers and those that are reviewing suspicious orders, for example, are empowered to make decisions and won't be second guessed. And they're, they're, you know, you know, the bottom line isn't the most important thing 
um, but the right decision is and the appropriate protocols, that has a lasting impact throughout the entire um, chain of command uh, in the compliance world for those manufacturers, distributors, pharmacies, practitioners. So I, I, I went back a little bit there, but I just wanted to touch on that. No, I think that's important, and I think that's um, a good segue to talk about some of the consequences. Um, I know in my experience as a diversion investigator that we did look at the company culture when we were assessing um, the civil potential civil and criminal violations of a company. And um, I, I think you really hit with the, the culture and the importance of it, um, because I know some of the companies and that we investigated um, when we were interviewing pharmacists, um, they would say that... Um, that it wasn't significant and that even though they reported up their chain, they didn't feel like they were being taken seriously or had the ability to refuse prescriptions. So I think that culture is extremely important in emphasizing compliance and corresponding responsibility and know your customer and due diligence uh, because regulatory agencies will be you know, looking at that uh, because it's not just did the company make a mistake, did the individual make a mistake um, on one given day, it's a pattern. Um, that we're looking for uh, on the investigation side. And so in, in making sure that companies are compliant, it's trying it's going through not just their written procedures, but what is that company culture and how can we uh, train and explain the significance of compliance um, on that, which I think, um, Lou, you probably got some examples of companies, not only um, from your time with DEA, but also um, now on the private side, where you have seen your share of reputable companies go downhill. Well, sure. I mean, look, the the, the vast majority, and I believe this, I've, I've always believed this, the vast majority of the DEA, regi DEA registrants are trying to do the right thing. And they have an important job, and that is to get necessary medications across the, the full supply chain from manufacturer, importer, all the way down to the practitioner. Um, they're trying to get necessary medication to patients that need them. Um, so the vast majority are trying to do the right thing. But, you know, from a pragmatic standpoint, there is considerable risk criminally and civilly where you have even sometimes well-intentioned registrants. Um, certainly, if you have someone that they, that's behaving in a criminal way that, and the evidence supports that, the U.S. Attorney's Office or the state uh, law enforcement authorities or regulators will take action against that DEA registrant or that executive within a manufacturer or distributor. Um, but there'll also be massive, potentially massive civil penalties um, and sometimes resulting criminal penalties for uh, people within the, the DEA registrant uh, that aren't following the protocols or were negligent in how they did that. The fines can be completely devastating, depending on on the number of fines, and they can they can stack up considerably. Um, and and the other thing is, even when you're trying to do the right thing, and they find minor discrepancies, those discrepancies and those continual violations will haunt that registration for years to come. And it's often very difficult, even with new leadership at a company, to undo that baggage from before and it's 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 a reactive process which is not necessarily a situation you want to be in and and and, and to answer your question specifically yes um you know i've seen since i have left dea you know executives get charged criminally um corporations get charged criminally 
And uh, very often, um, it's a symptom of being proactive and getting ahead of these issues where possible versus reactive in crisis mode after a regulator, a federal state regulator has come in and then they're trying to figure out where are the weaknesses? How do we fix these? Um, there's a big difference between doing that in crisis and doing that proactively before a crisis occurs so that a regulator that shows up will come in and see you've done these periodic checks. Thank you, Lou, for explaining some of the different problems that can happen um, within pharmaceutical companies' compliance um, sections and the company culture as well. I think you've hit on a lot of issues that can come up. And as you emphasize that most DEA registrants are trying to do the right thing, um, but can often be caught off guard by having not having correct compliance protocols in place and knowing how to enact them. So I think we've discussed a lot of the issues today that can come up uh, for companies uh, in their compliance culture. Uh, thank you, Lou, for the insightful discussion. And thank you to those of you who tuned in today. Uh, for more information on assessing your diversion control program, or if you need help developing a customized program with training, please visit our website at guideposttsolutions.com. Uh, in our upcoming next podcast, we are going to talk about what Guidepost Solutions has developed as far as how to address uh, any, any uh, failures in your compliance program or how to determine whether you have an adequate compliance to program. And that will be in our next uh, podcast series. Music